Lord bless you, praise team, for leading us to our Savior today. How grateful we are for your ministry and for these great songs. Thank you. A man got on a plane in Los Angeles that was headed for New York. He said to the steward, uh, now I want you to wake me up and make sure that I get off the plane in Dallas. Imagine his shock when he woke up, the plane was landing in New York. And uh, he was furious, and so he demanded an answer from the steward. Uh, the steward mumbled a few words of apology, and the man stormed off the plane in rage. Uh, another attendant came over to the steward, and he said, My, that man certainly was mad, wasn't he? He said, Well, if you think he was mad... You should have seen the guy that I put off the plane in Dallas. <laughs> there are lots of things in life that make us mad, aren't there? And uh, if there's one thing that we humans are good at, it is this word, right? We are very, very good at getting angry. Now, not all anger is wrong. There is a righteous and a holy anger. Uh, Dr. David Seaman said this, Anger is a divinely implanted emotion. Closely allied to our instinct for right, it is designed to be used for constructive spiritual purposes. People who cannot feel anger at evil lack enthusiasm for good. If you cannot hate wrong... It is very questionable whether you really love righteousness. And that is wonderfully true. But there is a problem, isn't there? Most of our anger is not righteous anger, is it? Most of our anger is the other kind. It is selfish anger. Uh, we have to confess, most of the time when we're angry, it's not about sin, it's not about injustice, it really has nothing to do with God. Most of the time... It is about us. You know, so serious is selfish anger that when Jesus begins to apply the law to his followers, the first thing he takes up is anger. Isn't that interesting? The Jews believed that when the Messiah came, he would uh, give the true meaning of the law. And so Jesus does that very thing in the Sermon on the Mount. The very first issue that he takes up is selfish anger. And here's the point that the Savior makes for us today. He tells us that selfish anger is extremely, extremely dangerous. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to look with me at what our Savior says to us in verses 21 and 22. And you will see by what he says that anger is nothing to play around with. Anger is no minor issue. Anger is extremely, extremely dangerous. Look what he says. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 
But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, and now notice this, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This is a very, very serious matter. Now, if we were to ask Jesus, you know, how dangerous is anger? All we have to do is to begin to look at what he says. He tells us that anger is very, very dangerous because it can become deeply rooted. When he says in verse 22, I tell you, anyone that is angry... Uh, the Greek word that Jesus used is, a, is the word orge. It is an anger that is a settled state of mind. It is an angry disposition. It is less sudden in its rise, but it is more lasting in its nature. Whenever I read uh, this Greek word orge, I think of an ogre. That helps me remind uh, what the meaning is. An ogre, as you know is someone who is in angry mood all the time at almost everyone. Uh, we talk about people who carry lots of anger, uh, rather, whether it's towards one person or towards many people. That's the word that is used here. Now, why does Jesus say that this is so dangerous? Well, once again, Jesus is brilliant in his interpreting of the Old Testament. Because in implying, in, in applying the sixth commandment, Exodus 20 and verse 13, you shall not meet it, murder, Jesus combines it with Leviticus 19, 17. And look what this verse says. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor. But you shall not incur sin because of him by hating him. Now this is very, very brilliant what Jesus is doing here because he is showing us that God is not just concerned about our outward acts, but he is also in concerned about the inner attitudes. What Jesus understands is the danger is in our heart. And Jesus, by putting these two verses together, is teaching us this progression that will happen if we don't deal with our anger. Anger, if it's not dealt with, leads to resentment. And resentment, if it's not dealt with, leads to hatred. Now please follow this. Anger is one step from resentment, and resentment is one step from hate. And once hate takes root in our hearts, we are capable of anything. We are capable of anything. And Jesus clearly understands that it starts with anger. Now notice the second reason that Jesus gives to us as why anger is so very, very dangerous is because it can become very abusive. 
You see, when anger's not dealt with, what happens is we will find ways to attack others. One of the quickest ways we will do that is through our words, nasty epithets that are said about or to others. Now, notice in verse 22 that Jesus uses two of them. He uses the word raka. Raka was a word that meant imbecile. It meant uh, blockhead or empty-headed. It was a word that was used to insult somebody over their intelligence. You know what the word would be for us today? You idiot. You jerk. That would be the idea. And then he uses a second epithet. It is the word fool. It comes from the Greek word moros, from which we get our word moron from. But it probably is a loan word from the Hebrew word mora, which means rebel, rogue, or a, a, a wicked person. It's a slam on someone's character. It would be very much like calling someone a hood or a scoundrel. Now, I want you to notice Jesus says this is said about a brother. Someone we know well and who may be a Christian. And it may have very devastating effects against them personally or their reputation. And we would say, why would we say things like this? Well, it's to damage them. It's to hurt them. That's what sin is all about. I have comforted people who cannot get out of their heads the hurtful words that an angry person has said to them. Many times the angry person goes on their way, they forget all about it, but the devastation in a person's life remains. I knew a woman who lived with an angry husband her entire life, and, and one day, late in her retirement years, she shared with me something her husband had said years before. It was so nasty, I would not even say it to you today. And it rang in her ears, the pain that that caused. Now, Jesus says that anger is so dangerous, this kind of hurtful anger, that it is actually eternally damning. Look back at verse 21 and notice the rabbis taught that murder led to a human sentence by a human court of law. The rabbis said, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That is human court of law. But Jesus says it is far more serious than that. He extends the penalty as well as the crime. He says anger and insult are equal to murder, and the punishment is nothing less than punishment in hell, so that we will not miss it. Notice he uses three expressions. He says we will be subject to judgment, we will be answerable to Sanhedrin, and then he climaxes it by saying that we will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now the Sanhedrin was the supreme court of the Jewish people. 
But it's very clear here, God is the only one who can judge a person's heart. So the Sanhedrin mentioned here is God's Sanhedrin, his supreme court at the great white throne judgment at the end of the age. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is telling us that God judges not just the physical acts, but He judges the hidden sin of the heart as well. You see, people, they can see our outward acts, but God sees the inner attitudes that lead to those acts. The great Greek scholar W.E. Vine often would tell about a brother who had maligned another Christian in church. And W. Vine said the damage to this Christian brother was so great that it actually affected his health and it led to his untimely death. Can you imagine that? Finally, as, as, as he was uh, at the end of his life near death, uh, the slanderer came to him to beg his forgiveness, and the man on his deathbed said to him, I forgive you completely, but I ask one favor of you. He said, would you take this pillow on my bed? Would you take a pair of scissors and, and slit it open, and then would you empty its contents outside the window? The man did as he was asked. Having emptied the contents of that entire pillow outside the window, then the brother on the bed who lay dying said to him, Now would you go out and pick up all of the feathers and return them to the pillow? The man said, That's impossible. He said, You are exactly right. So is it impossible to undo all the harm that you have done in our church and you have done in my life because of your slanderous tongue. People, what Jesus is telling us is this. Anger that leads to resentment, that leads to hate, is so damaging that its punishment is deserving of hell. Now whether people go to hell is determined by whether Jesus is their Savior or not. Amen this morning? But the damage of selfish anger leading to resentment and leading to hate is so great the punishment, says our Lord, is deserving of hell. Does the Savior have our attention here this morning? Is he right that selfish anger is extremely dangerous? Of course he is. Now one of the wonderful things about the Bible is the Bible does not just diagnose the problem. The Bible gives us the solution. And Jesus gives us the answer so that all of us, whatever our relationship to anger can begin to deal with it in a way that will cause it to recede in our lives. And I want you to notice that Jesus gives two examples that have one simple point, 
and that is settle your offenses quickly. Now, isn't this masterful? Look with me at verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, Jesus is the master illustrator. And both of these stories have the same point. Uh, someone has been wronged or offended by us, and rather than letting it go, Jesus says we are to take immediate, urgent action to settle it. We are not to ignore it or to let it go. Now, if we need an incentive, I want you to notice here that Jesus gives us two critical reasons why we are to take urgent action. Here's the first one, and this is so very important. Unsettled offenses interfere with our worship. Unsettled offenses interfere with our worship. Now the story in verses 23 and 24 is a setting where a person is coming to uh, the tabernacle or the temple in worship, and they are preparing to offer a sacrifice on the altar. It is the gift that they are bringing to the Lord. You know what this would be for us? This would be coming to church. And in church, offering our sacrifices of praise, our gifts or our worship to God. Now Jesus says, here's what happens. We're in church and we're offering our sacrifice of praise to the Lord, and we remember that somebody has been wronged by us. We have offended somebody. And so Jesus says, you stop your worship immediately, and you leave, and you go make things right. And what does he mean by that? He means confessing. He means apologizing. He means repairing the damage. And then he says, then you come back and you pick up your gift and you continue on with your worship. Brothers and sisters, this was absolutely revolutionary because the rabbis taught nothing was to interfere with worship. You see, for them, it was the ritual of worship that was all important, and nothing, therefore, was to stop the ritual of worship. But now what Jesus is teaching is that internal purity comes first before ritual. By the way, that should not surprise us. What is the sixth beatitude? Blessed are the pure in heart. Or they will see God. Isn't that taught in the Old Testament? 
1 Samuel 16, 7, God says to the prophet Samuel, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Do you know what the whole purpose of worship is? We just sang about it in these wonderful songs. It is to draw closer to God so that our hearts can be purified. If you were to ask me this morning, why are we here in this service? I would say, here's why we're here. It is to draw closer to God so our hearts can be purified. Now, follow what Jesus is saying. If we are unconcerned about the anger and hate we have caused in someone else, that shows we are calloused about the anger and hate in our own hearts. Such worship is not only offensive to God, it is completely ineffective because it leaves us unchanged. Do you know all true change begins with repentance? Without repentance, it is impossible to grow because all true change starts with repentance. In fact, listen to these penetrating verses in Proverbs 28. Listen to these words. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Exactly. Exactly. Jesus is saying, don't, don't come to a worship service and sing, Jesus, draw me closer so that I can be purified, but then I know that I have wronged someone. I know there's an issue that I have to settle. I know there's resentment and hatred in my heart, and I am calloused against that. That's not repentance. And that will leave us unchanged. And that's not the purpose of worship. When our family was young, Sunday morning could often be very difficult because I had to be to church early. One of the things my wife discovered early on is uh, she doesn't have a, a husband on Sunday mornings. And many times the family doesn't have a father because I'm so focused on getting here and what has to happen on this day. And there were times that we would have an argument before we would ever leave the house. Sometimes the argument would continue on the way to church, and we would get to church, and we'd be very angry and, and very upset at each other. And I'd be sitting in a, in, a, in a worship service, and in those days the pastors did not sit with their families. We, we sat together separately. And I knew that I had to get up and preach. And I knew that if I got up and preached with that between my wife and I, that my sermon that day would not be pleasing to God. It could be the best sermon that I had ever prepared. But because of what had happened between her and I and, 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 and how I had contributed to wounding her, that was a sermon that would not be pleasing to God. And so under conviction and knowing what I had to do, 
as we would be standing singing a hymn to the Lord or a praise song, I would make my way over to where Ellen was. And I would say, what I did was not right. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I'm so blessed because I have a wife who has always forgiven me. In fact, if you would ask her today, Ellen, what thing did Brian do 10 years ago that you're still angry with him over? She would say to you, there's nothing. Because it has been addressed, it has been apologized for, and I have forgiven. And it's in the past. And I'm so grateful. I wonder today... If we were to obey what Jesus is saying, how many of us would have to right now get up and leave this worship service? How many of us would have to leave right now? Go get on the phone or, or write a letter or go knock on a door. In fact, if we were to stop this service right now and say, we're going to do what Jesus said because we don't want our worship and the changing of our lives to be hindered. How many of us would have to walk across this congregation and find somebody and say, I've got to get things right. I have saved to us today, do it now. Obey Jesus. It is absolutely essential to your spiritual health. Notice Jesus says there's a second critical reason why this is important. Secondly, he tells us unsettled offenses create more consequences. In the second example, verses 25 and 26, is a person who owes a debt to a creditor, but they won't pay it. And Jesus says, if you're wise, you will settle the matter quickly with your creditor before your creditor sues you and takes you to court. Now notice what Jesus says. If it goes that far, the judge may rule in your creditor's favor, and then look what will happen you'll get handed over to the police officer and the police officer will throw you in prison and in Jesus' day, you could be jailed until your family paid off the debt. Now here's the question. Who is the judge in this story? The judge is God. For the non-believer being thrown into prison is eternal punishment in hell that Jesus spoke about earlier in verse 22. You say, Pastor, what about the believer? For the believer, God may discipline us in this way. He may let our unsettled offenses with other people go 
to their disastrous end. Sometimes God just lets us reap what we have sown so that our hardened hearts will be changed. Many people never make right their years of anger and abuse and uh, their years of rudeness to others. And finally, those actions catch up to them and they lose their relationships. And now they would do anything that they could possibly do to get those relationships back. But the years of indifference and the years of neglect have finally caught up to them. And the years of those unsettled offenses now have destroyed relationships that they can never, ever recover. And do you see what Jesus is saying? Settle those things quickly, urgently, immediately. Because the consequences will be worse. When I was a boy, we used to collect S&H green stamps when we made purchases at local stores. How many of you were S&H Green Stamps Club? Okay, Mike. And, and you remember how this worked. You'd go to a participating store and you'd get a few stamps and, and you'd stick them in your book. And then you'd buy a few more and you'd stick them in your book. And over a period of months and years, your books would get full and then one day, You'd go to the S&H store and cash them in. And you'd come home with some wonderful thing that you had purchased. Do you know many people do this with their anger and offenses? A wrong happens. And rather than settling it, they put it in their book. And then another anger or rudeness occurs. Instead of dealing with it, they put it in their book. And that book grows and grows and grows with incident after incident after incident. And then one day after it's gotten huge, it is cashed in. There is a huge blow up. Anger and rage spills out everywhere, tearing their relationships apart. And now it is irreparable. And it can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a family. It can happen in a church. It can happen anywhere. And so Jesus gives us these two clear, penetrating examples. They say, settle offenses speedily. Because as you do, you learn to deal with your anger. I don't know about you, but every time I have to apologize... It's just one more lesson that I need to change something. 
And so Jesus tells us not only how to settle that offense, but then this is how you deal with your anger so that ultimately you grow beyond it. How wonderful. How helpful this is. Let's take a moment, shall we, and bow our heads together. Close our eyes. Have you resisted spiritual growth for many, many years? Because you have allowed insistent patterns of anger, resentment, and hate to develop in your life. I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why many Christians never seem to gain spiritual maturity. Because in their hardness, they have resisted what God wants to do to change them. And if you were to obey the Savior today, what phone call would you make? What letter would you write? What person would you go see? Would you covenant before God today that no matter how difficult that is, that you will do that? And would you thank Him that no matter how hard it is, as you obey Him, you will release His ability to change you? Because you have not covered your sin, but you have confessed it and forsaken it. Lord Jesus, today we ask that you would hear many prayers. We confess to you today the pain and hurt that we have inflicted upon others, sometimes allowing it to remain because of our own insensitive hearts. And Lord, we do not want to be here today in a service whose purpose is to draw us close to you that we might be changed and then be the very block to the change that you want to happen. And so I pray today that these powerful words of Jesus would make all of us different. 
so that the work of God in our hearts and in our church can go forward unrestricted because we have sought you in the right way. Thank you for this special time of worship and even, Lord, in this closing song which causes us to meditate upon you. May we do business with you today. And we'll thank you and praise you for Jesus' sake.